Stand by for the hook. Welcome to The Hook with Katie Kempner, Vice President of Agency Communications at Crispin Porter and Bogusky, the most awarded advertising agency in the world. Every Tuesday at the intersection of advertising and PR, The Hook, where Katie talks with advertising visionaries, top journalists, cutting-edge creatives, authors, and PR gurus. Hear what these industry insiders have to say about the changing landscape of advertising and PR today. Now here's your host, Katie Kempner. Hello, I'm Katie Kempner. Today is Tuesday, November 18th, and you are listening to The Hook, where each week I talk to advertising, branding, marketing, and public relations insiders who are both leading and covering the industry. I hope that you'll find inspiration and new ideas as you listen to these thought leaders and their take on what this rapidly changing and evolving industry means to them and ultimately to you. We'll be back right after this. Sit tight and don't move. The Hook will be back after this short break. Welcome to Madame Natalia's. You've come to have your future told, no? Yeah, you see, I'm looking for the right life insurance affiliate program, and I have... Say no more. I see you working with AccuQuote. AccuQuote? Yes, AccuQuote. They are the nation's premier life insurance brokerage. Go on. AccuQuote will create custom creatives for you to optimize your eCPM and... They will offer you the highest payout for this offer anywhere. So when's all this going to happen? As soon as you visit AccuQuote.com. For life insurance, visit AccuQuote.com. Looking for a new way to build backlinks and traffic back to your website? Then look no further than the quickest and easiest way to blast your article to thousands of subscribers at the click of a mouse. Introducing ArticleSender.com, the world's premier article distribution service. With ArticleSender.com, you can submit your prize-winning piece to thousands of promising publishers and article directories craving for fresh content. ArticleSender.com also provides premium services so that your article is SEO SEO ready. Plus, we provide express editorial review for rush delivery of your submissions within 24 to 48 hours. Article distribution at its easiest. One form, one click, thousands of results. Get your free account today at articlesender.com. That's article S-E-N-D-E-R.com. When it comes to finding the right customers with the right keywords, all you have to remember is ABC Search. ABC Search is the world's largest privately held pay-per-click network, giving advertisers the best pay-per-click traffic. With over 6 billion searches a month and industry-leading protection using ClickShield, their patent-pending fraud identification software, you can trust ABC Search to deliver the best possible traffic. When thinking about PPC and publisher solutions, all you need to remember is ABC Search. Quality partners, quality search. ABCSearch.com Now back to The Hook. The intersection of advertising and PR. Only on webmasterradio.fm. Now, here's your host. So today I am with my friend Scott Donatin, publisher of Entertainment Weekly for print and online. For the weekly magazine, Scott oversees the magazine's advertising sales, marketing, and business development, operations, promotions, circulation, events, and public relations. Additionally, he also directs EW.com, winner of MPA's Best Entertainment Website of the Year, and one of the most popular and most comprehensive sites for online entertainment coverage. Before being named publisher of Entertainment Weekly in November 2007... 
Donatin served as publisher at Advertising Age and Creativity, where he oversaw the business and editorial strategies and operations across all platforms. Prior to that, he was at Age's associate publisher and editorial director, and prior to that, he was editor of Ad Age. Scott is a great person, extremely smart. I'm so excited that he's taken the time to talk with me today. So, Scott, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today. Of course. I'm thrilled to be here, Katie. <laughs> so let's just jump right in. I mean, I, I know you, I've known you for actually more years than I care to admit. We've known each other for a long time, haven't we? It's been quite a long time and quite a number of uh, iterations of this, of this business, I guess, in our own careers. Absolutely. Well, you know, tell me now, now that you're at Entertainment Weekly, what are sort of your goals for Entertainment Weekly and where you wanted to go? Really, the most important thing that I wanted to do when I got here, which was just under a year ago, is is to really bring a brand-based mentality to Entertainment Weekly, which is what I believe all media have to do. And And we're not a magazine at the end of the day, and we're not a website, and we're not events. We're a brand of information uh, and entertainment that has a very distinct audience that we serve, a very distinct mission that we work against. And and the first thing I really wanted to do, which was an internal process to, to begin with and then, and then bring that out to the marketplace, is really define what is that one mission. In our case, we shine a light on great performances. We lead people to the next big thing. Ultimately, we give them the tools to sort the gems from the trash and make the most of their entertainment time. These, these kind of driving Parts of our philosophy were what I wanted to really define sharply as the core of our mission, and then they become the filter for everything you do. So first you unite your own team around it, and then you take every sales program, every marketing initiative, every event, everything you do, and put it through the filter of that mission statement, and you you keep and advance the things that, that are true to that mission statement. You mercilessly kill the things that, that you know don't advance what you're trying to, to be, and, and you hopefully create new things that are even better expressions of who you are. So it really, really kind of bringing that mentality and then building the business model and the support systems around that kind of thinking of how do we go forward as a brand mm-hmm. is, 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 the, is the main driving uh, objective I have. Well, I mean, that, that makes so much sense. And I think, you know, you're so ahead of the curve in that, in that way. But, but a lot of things with your brand is, is ha- have changed with how news gets delivered and how quickly, you know, people are looking to be able to, to know what's going on. Um, so the speed has changed so much. How, how has that changed in terms of magazine versus online? It's one brand, but how has that changed, changed things? The, the best thing for me, and, and, and really throughout my career, I, I've worked uh, for um, – media brands that had a weekly magazine. And, and, and when the web first came along, the, the first thing everybody focused on was, okay, news is moving to the web and becoming an instant function. And, mm-hmm. and they accepted that that was a good thing that the web could do. But what they looked at also was, oh, well, that's taken something away from the weekly magazines. And in fact, I think what it's, what it's forced weekly magazines to do, the good ones, is, is, a, is a very healthy thing, which is to redefine what is the role of the weekly in, in the audience's lives when when breaking news is becomes an online function. And for us, the website is, is breaking news and it's video and it's community and it's service. And those are the things that the medium does well and that those, that's therefore the platform, you know, through which we deliver that. And then what mm-hmm. you do is it forces you in a very healthy way, I think, to rethink and reexamine 
what is the role of that weekly magazine? It's that moment that people take a deeper dive. It's the moment that they're more indulgent. It's the moment that they're looking for more guidance and, and really define your product around that. So I think at the end of the day, and I saw this at Ad Age as well when I was there, this transformation and this move of, of the news function to online gives you a better website and it gives you a better weekly magazine. So what do you think then in terms of the online portion of it? Like how important are blogs and videos? I would imagine for an enter, you know, a site that has to do with entertainment, the video side is very important. Or maybe I shouldn't imagine I should let you talk. You talk, Scott. Uh, video and community along with news are, are, are things that, that really drive our, our strategy right now. We've really just, mm-hmm. this, over this past year, increased video quite a bit, and, and our audience loves it. And, and quite honestly, I think we've only begun to scratch the surface of that, because if you think about it, um, everything from, from sort of obvious things, which is watching movie trailers, watching you know movie, uh, music videos, that sort of thing is great. But what we're doing is producing a lot of original video, and it's interviews with celebrities, it's scoops on on programming. We hired Michael Osiello away from TV Guide a few months back, and he writes a blog for us. He also has a weekly column in the magazine, but then he has a video series that's one of the most popular that we have that really is this very quirky mix in which he releases programming news and scoops about people's favorite TV shows, but does it in these very clever narratives that, that you know, are designed as their own little story moments. And, and we've seen a tremendous rise in the amount of video we're serving within the timing family behind CNNMoney.com and People.com. EW.com is now the third biggest site in the, in the amount of video views going on every month. And, and again, I think we've really just begun to go there because, as you mentioned, entertainment is such a natural for the video format, and so many of the companies that we work with editorially and as advertising partners have a lot of video assets as well. Does he mention why there's not going to be any more Lipstick Jungle? Was I the only person that was watching that show? He, he mentioned he, he gets it all. I mean, it, that, the funny thing about this guy when I first met him is that he has a huge following. Um, is, 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 there's not a TV show on, whether anybody watches it or not, that he doesn't know more about what's going on, it seems, than, than you know, the people who are, who are involved with writing and producing it. He's incredibly plugged in. But uh, Lipstick Jungle, that one, that, that one seemed to be a bit of a surprise. It struggled in the ratings, I think, even last year, but uh, they wanted to give it a go again because it was you know, one of those uh, fan favorites uh, with the, the small audience that it did have. I was, I, I, everyone just looked so good. I mean, they were just, you know, they looked good. And they and said Brooke nice and fluffy things. And our parties lately, and she's actually a really sweet person. I've gotten to know her a little bit at, at the events we've had, and it's a shame that uh, she may not be as present for now. Well, let's talk about some of the events. I mean, I know that uh, you're a pretty social person. <laughs> how, uh, how, do, how do events sort of fit in with what you do? Um, events have always been a, a huge part of, 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 of the brand. And to me, and, and again, even at, when I was at Ad Age, I really tried to build up the event business. I believe that, that live marketing uh, is such an important part of any brand. And, and, it, and it can do a lot of different things. It, it can bring, you know, not only is it another way to serve both your audience and your advertisers, but it can really kind of underscore your mission and what you're about. You know, for a lot of advertisers, when you do a consumer-facing event, they want to just see 
your audience in person. They want to see who are these people that you tell them about. You know, you're always going into an advertiser and you're saying our audience are forward-thinking and they're open-minded and they're young and they're affluent. Whatever, whatever the key, you know, for any media brand, whatever the things are that you think about your audience, well, you do an event and suddenly it's like, ah, I see them. I see them lined up outside this theater going in to watch these, you know, Oscar-nominated films or whatever, and I, and I get it. I get who the EW reader is. And, and so I think they're very important. And, and for a lot of sponsors as well, it, they're an increasingly important part of their marketing mix. It's how they want to talk to their customers. And so, you know, you need to have a very strong uh, event focus. Plus they're fun. No. <laughs> they, are, they can be quite fun. It can be quite fun. Um, they can you be know, very I, one thing I want to talk to you about, a, I mean, a movie it's screening just, last week, cr- and it uh, wasn't even an EW event, but it was a movie screening yeah. I was at, and it just so happened that one of our clients was sitting right in front of me, and he turned around, you know, during the previews and started asking me questions about something that turned into a big program that we're putting in front of them this week. So, there's, there's you know, there's a value in that fun as well. Okay, so work is done there, too, if I didn't uh, make it sound clear. Work is done. Uh, exactly. You know what, Scott, I wanted to ask you one thing. I mean, just one you... Funny, he, he, you know, again, for him to turn around to me and you go, oh, right, there are, there are business reasons for these uh, <laughs> as well. Okay, business reasons, totally... Uh... Totally established. But let's talk about the sort of the link between advertising and entertainment. I mean, you really were one of you were on sort of the forefront of thinking about that. I mean, you wrote that the book in 2004, Madison and Vine: Why the Entertainment and Advertising Industries Must Converge to Survive. And you started at at Ad Age, you know, a newsletter and conferences. And what are the links that really interest you the most? The whole Madison and Vine movement for me was really one more way of getting at what I think is the biggest question that media and marketing have had to face in the last few years, which is what happens to marketing and media consumption in an end-user controlled environment. So the common thread, I think, through almost everything we've seen happen to the media business in in the last five to ten years has been this consumer control, and that's expressed in things like DVRs, obviously. Um, It's expressed Mm -hmm. in iPods. It's expressed, you know, it's enabled by digital technology, but it's not really a technology story at the end of the day. It's the story that, you know, I can program my own TV schedule. I can decide what songs I want to listen to instead of buying your prepackaged bundle of albums. I can decide which content I'm going to interact with and which ads on my terms. And, and Madison and Vine was really a way to explore that one of the answers to, you, you know, if people have the ability to avoid and bypass advertising in a traditional format, one of the ways to, to get the messages to them would be to integrate the message into the programming they're already choosing to spend time with. And, and I think that even that book in 2004 uh, it was only four years ago, but there is so much in terms of how that's evolved from now that I, I didn't even, you know, begin to talk about or, or realize was, was even a possible outcome necessarily at that point of, of really the movement away from, uh, a little bit away from advertisers just integrating their products and their messages into other people's entertainment content and moving mm-hmm. more towards advertisers actually funding, developing, creating content of their own. But at the end of the day, you know, what it comes down to is the consumer is going to decide, is this entertaining? Is this informational? Is this worth my time? And as long as I'm aware as a consumer who's bringing it to me, the kind of 
you know, ethical questions aren't really, I don't think, in play as much. It's really just, okay, if that piece of really entertaining or informational content came from an advertiser or whether it came from, you know, a media brand or sometimes whether it came from an anonymous user on, on a site, you know, the, the consumer can filter it, put a trust value against it and decide, you know, how to, you know, move forward from there. But, but at the end of the day, it's, it's their decision to decide what content they're going to interact with. Sorry, that was a bit convoluted. <laughs> no, no, it didn't get Hopefully concluded, but I think it brings up a really interesting point, which is just sort of the economics of everything in terms of, you know, where clients are spending their money and also, you know, how we talked about the difference between magazines and, and online and how really it's one big brand, but h- how that's translating into equivalent advertising dollars. Could you talk about that a little bit? Um, how How branded content in particular or? Branded content and how online is able to make money. I mean, it's see, I guess what I'm saying, see, now I'm convoluted. I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, with all the things that, you, that you've brought up and all the way things have changed, it's become much more difficult for, for content, for places to make money and also advertisers looking where they want to place their money. So yeah, with everything I mean, changing, one of, one, of the, one of the interesting things about this is that that everything we know about how the consumer is changing and and how media brands need to go to market all makes perfect sense until you get to the point where you figure out how to monetize it all, and then that ultimately is the business that we're all in. And, exactly, and, and that is still very much in flux for us. I mean, the digital in general is the growth rate there has been tremendous. Our, our digital revenue is is up, you know, this year in in, in an otherwise challenging advertising environment for everyone, and, and and the expectation is that will continue. It's a it's a, a greater and greater percentage of our revenue and our profits, and and I have no doubt that 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 trend is going to is going to keep on. And in fact, it's very much in the plan for that trend to keep on. But a dollar is not a dollar right now in terms of how advertisers value traditional media versus non-traditional media. The, the CPM levels aren't in the same place. Um, yeah. And for a lot of other kind of newer, more experimental forms of marketing, in some cases there's, there's, there's no value attached at all or certainly no metrics and things that really can, can get you to a value equation. They're just kind of numbers sometimes are just thrown out there. Um, but I think... What's really important for anyone who who is in this business, my you know myself, but anybody who does this kind of job, is is to not you know try and protect an existing business model or an old business model just because of those fears. So a dollar mm-hmm. may not be a dollar, but that doesn't mean that you just cling to you know the the, the medium that's getting a higher CPM uh, and try and drive people in that direction. I think what you have to do is. How are we serving the audience? How does the advertiser want to reach that audience? And what can we do to maximize the value? And there's no doubt that, you know, that will change the way we do business. It will, in some cases, mean adjusting the cost structure uh, to to match up with with that reality. But it certainly can't mean protecting an existing pot of money. You've got to go out and try and embrace all of these things, even as we, we figure out how to do so profitably. Because even in this, I mean, even in this economy, you know, clients are still spending money, right? Absolutely, um, and and I think you know, smart marketers are realizing that that it's a time to invest 
in marketing, keep their messaging up, and really grow market share in a down economy. But of course, there is always, you know, there have always been the case that that certain companies marketing is one of those spigots that's easily turned on and off. And if they need to hit, you know, their number in a tough quarter, unfortunately, marketing because it's viewed as an expense is a, is a spigot that some companies will turn to and shut off very quickly. Um, mm-hmm. But smart marketers will 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 certainly keep out there, and and they'll be they'll be smarter about the choices they make as well. So they'll still be spending money, but they'll be spending it with fewer partners. And therefore, if you're on the media sales side, media content side, this is a, an opportunity to prove your strength to grow market share and, and to become a more trusted partner, I think, and hopefully a more valuable partner to these companies. And, and that really comes back as well to the other big trend and buzzword of our industry the last few years, which is ROI. You know, that's what marketers want to talk about is how is this going to grow sales for me next year. It's not it's no longer really just, you know, how you're gonna get awareness up, how you're gonna get my image up, how are you gonna it's really just what can you do to help me grow sales. Yeah. So let's change gears a little bit. I have a question now that you've really been in it for a while. Why do you think people are so fascinated by celebrity and you know and and T V and entertainment and celebrities? Is it simply an escape or you tell me. I think, you know, what's interesting for Entertainment Weekly is we're not a celebrity brand, we're an entertainment brand, and one of the mm-hmm. things that I found when I got here was that there were people who would say to me, uh, you know, hey, so what's the latest on Britney? And the true answer for EW is we don't care. Um, so it's been a very fun thing, and one of the one of the parts of our positioning and our mission statement has been to really differentiate entertainment and celebrity because I think our culture has, has kind of made that that line between the two a lot murkier in the last few years. All I can say is that this fascination with celebrities personalized, it's kind of always been there. You can go back, you know, to Hollywood in the 20s and 30s. It's certainly been, you know, it's certainly exploded now, and it's certainly, you know, it's all over the Internet. It's all over the magazine industry. It's all over television. But there are also some signs of of fatigue with that, I think, at the consumer level. I don't think that's ever going to go away, but I think that, that what happened over the last few years was people saw some opportunity there, and everybody rushed into that space. And mm-hmm. I think now they're finding it's a little saturated, and, and, and that will come back down those levels. But for us, uh, for EW, really, if you think about it, and, and I imagine the celebrity thing blends into this a little bit as well, in tough times, people like these escapes more than ever. We actually just did a consumer study, and one of the findings was that 93% of people say entertainment is more important to them in a time of stress. So I do think that that this is a time when people do want to kind of they they want to get away to the movies more. They want to they want to put their iPod on and kind of you know unplug a little more. And and I think there's an opportunity for for a brand like ours in a tough time to stand out even more. I think you're you're most definitely right. So I keep telling the people in my book club, why can't we read a pleasant book? This book has to do with a with a lep, with leprosy. I, I like in times of where you know everything's so stressed in the world. Why can't we read happy books like the Shopaholic series or something? <laughs> no wonder I'm going to miss I think a lot of jungle. books tend to reflect the times that they're written in. Maybe on a on a delay, <laughs> but that's why we're seeing. You know, we've only just seen a lot of fiction flood the market in the last two years. They're really coming to terms with the 9/11, if you will. So, yeah. Uh, we yeah, want something point, happy. Though. So I want to ask you something because a lot of people that listen to this are, are PR people like myself. And you, you've you been really 
fortunate in the sense that you've been both on both sides of the fence. You've been on the editorial side and on the publishing side. And I'm wondering if you have if you've taken anything away from it that would be useful for people that do what I do to, to know. Um, it, it's a great question. I, I think, um, you know, for, for me personally, the transformation to editing, uh, from editing to publishing was not, was not a difficult one in part because as an editor, my job was, was to cover and, and understand the business side of advertising, marketing, and media. So, you know, it's maybe a little different transition than, let's say, the editor of a consumer magazine suddenly becoming the publisher of a consumer magazine. That said, an editor's job is really um, to understand your audience, to understand the the role of, of your product in, in your in your audience's lives, and to understand their mindset when they come to your product. And, and I think that's a lot closer to a publisher's job than people realize, because as a publisher, when you're talking to an advertiser, your job is to talk to a marketer and say, you know, okay, here are your challenges, and here's what you're trying to accomplish in the marketplace. Here's our audience and their mindset when they come to us, and here's how I can connect the two to, uh, you know, to help you realize your marketing objectives. And I guess what that's given me a perspective on that's probably good for for someone who works in any field, uh, including communications, is, is to really always understand the bigger picture. We tend to put things in silos a lot and how we think about uh, how we think about things, and, and I and I think the important thing is to really always understand what are all the moving parts and how do they come together, as opposed to putting things, you know, this affects this, or this is an editorial issue, and this is a business issue, or this is a marketing issue, <clears throat> excuse me, and this is a sales issue. And even in terms of my own use of, of how I work with our communications team here is that I've mm-hmm. always seen it as a very strategic thing, and I, and I think the communications team has to be involved in, in everything from the beginning and, and not, you know, I think it, what I always saw when I was on the editorial side was that there are places where PR is, is after you've made the decisions and set the strategy, you bring PR in and you send them out to execute a plan. And I think that as, as an editor, I thought those were the, were, were the places where PR really failed to live up to its potential. And, and what I always saw uh, as an editor that I brought to my own workings with our with our communications team is how to how to bring PR in from the earliest levels, make sure that that function has a seat at the strategy table, and and build it into everything you do from strategy to execution. And and I think that in that way it can be a really effective tool for everything we we set out to do. I happen to agree with you, and I'm lucky because that that's how we do it here. So. I'm, I'm you lucky could usually for that. tell when I was an editor, frankly, you could tell, you know, which PR people, you know, knew everything when if you called them up even as a reporter, they, they knew what was going on, they knew what the strategy was and they, they, they had been in every meeting, they they you know, and then they might go away and come back and decide, you know, how much they were gonna to talk to you about and <laughs> and how much they were gonna reveal and how much you actually knew. But that was always a very different conversation from someone who you knew that after you hung up the phone with them they had to go ask somebody weren't really always sure whether the answer they got back was an accurate one or not, and then just come back and feed that to you. And, and again, it's, it's actually the, the issue, uh, you know, sometimes you would get into, frankly, are there good PR people and bad PR? Well, obviously, in any profession there are, but, but really I think the success or failure of most people in PR depends on whether their CEO or their publisher or their whoever they report to, their agency president, um, 
believes in them, believes in the function, and brings them in from, from the earliest moment and involves them in strategy, that's going to make the difference. You're definitely right. And I was always your favorite PR person, just for the record, right? <laughs> Absolutely, except for any other people listening who might have been thinking also they were been your favorite. <laughs> Hey, Scott, listen, I, I want to ask you something. I mean, you've had such a terrific career. You were, I remember being there because the year Alex also was nominated into, or inducted into the American Advertising Federation's Advertising Hall of Achievement for recognizing executives under 40. And I know you were named one of 21 most intriguing people in media by Min Magazine. And um, what else? There's so many things. You were oh, recently no, named going. on the Folio <laughs> 40 list. So all sorts of great – how – what sort of advice do you have for somebody who might not be where they want to be in their career or isn't happy? Like personal philosophies that have sort of helped guide you in, in your career. Um, I would say for me, and this may sound disarmingly simple, but it all comes down to one word, at least as I define it, which is passion. Mm-hmm. I, I really have always been passionate about what I do for a living. I may not love every day. I may not love every meeting, but I love what I do for a living. I love coming to work every day. And quite honestly, I have friends, I'm sure you do as well, who in some cases have great jobs. If you look at their title, if you look at the companies they work for, they have great jobs. And then when you speak to them, they say, eh, it's a job. It gets me through to the weekend. It pays the mortgage. I'm not knocking people who do that, but, but those aren't the, that's not the way I've approached my career. And those aren't the people that I've surrounded myself with or promoted. I, I've really, and, and this isn't, you know, again, people will say, well, nobody on their deathbed ever said I wished I worked more hours. That's not what it's about. At the end of the day, I spend most of my waking life just by sheer math at work. And if I don't love what I do, I'm cheating, actually, a big part of my own life. And so, and especially in a tough time like this, I know there are, there are people by necessity who, who are just grateful to have a job. We've all heard that a lot in a time when, when companies have had to make tough decisions about, about you know, employment. People will say, I'm, I'm grateful to have a job, and I understand that. I'm not putting that, that mindset down at all. People have mortgages. They have kids to feed. But, but really, my advice is, is to try to love what you do, to really try to be passionate about it. And quite honestly, even in a tough time, if you feel like you may have to hunker down and stay in a position right now a little longer than you want to, how can you find the opportunity in it? How can you turn it to your advantage? And how can you, how can you find a passion for what you do every day? Because to me, it's not just a job. It's a, it's a big, big part of your life, and you should love it if you can. And I think people who love what they do tend to succeed. Well, it sounds like you really love what you're doing now, and I I thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me, Scott. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Okay, I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. That's all we have time for today. Please join me next week for another edition of The Hook. Have a wonderful day. 